0: Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. So I'm curious, so, so for like the last five years, I don't know what y'all been looking at. You've been doing different series, different this, that, preaching through different books. But, but if, if, I, if I know, what I believe I know about Soulless is that, that you've been keeping Jesus at the center. Is that true? Okay, okay, awesome, awesome. So you've been looking at Jesus for the past five years, because what I want to talk to you this morning about is beholding, because beholding is a like incredibly important biblical uh, theme, idea, if you will. You guys have been beholding Jesus. You see, in um. 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul writes to this church, and this church is a mess, right? We think we have some issues here at Solus. The Avenue's got issues. I get it, but we don't have Corinthian issues. And so Paul writes to this church in Corinth, and and here's what he says. He's going to say, hey, you need to make this adjustment and that adjustment. But central and even before the adjustments, this is what he says. If if you want to start getting it right, you have to start looking at the right things. You have to start beholding, even before you start behaving. And and so he he says, as we behold Christ, we're actually going to become like him. Like there's this mysterious power when when our eyes look at something over and over and over again, we start to become like the very thing we're beholding. So if you want to become like Christ, you have to look like Christ. So, you guys have been doing that for five years. You've been keeping Jesus at the center. You've been looking at Christ over and over again. From your marriage, you look at Christ. From your parenting, you look at Christ. From your finances, you look at Christ. And that brings us to this morning, which is Palm Sunday. And the question is, how are we supposed to look at Christ today? What is our beholding? Of Christ uh, this morning. And for that, we're going to look at Matthew 21. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be there for uh, verses 1 through 5. Now, Jesus, as you probably know, uh, is coming to the end of his earthly story, if you will. And um, there have been miracles. There have been signs and wonders. There have been uh, just um, a beautiful expression of patience, kindness, and goodness. The way of the kingdom has been on display now uh, for, for at least uh, the, the last three years, certainly before that, but publicly for the last three years. And now we come to uh, this, this week that Andrew mentioned, this holy week, and, and it begins Here. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 5. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So the, the first Palm Sunday scene, you know, the, the crowd's, erupts into praise as he comes in, palm branches, cloaks on the road, all these sort of things. And, and, and so the scene that was set here by Jesus is uh, his, his, his statement of basically saying, like, here I am. You might have caught that along the way, along the last three years. You might have picked up on the fact that here I am, but now, really, here I am. It's it's like a huge public declaration of who Jesus is, and and the people got it. Like, they responded, and and they they responded in worship, and and they they were, you know, throwing themselves and, and, and things down before him to honor him in the moment. They knew that if someone were to ride in in this way, that meant the king was on the scene. You see, this is, a, this is an Old Testament prophecy that Matthew references here back to uh, Zechariah. And in Zechariah 9.9, uh, which is the prophecy that, that we're looking at here this morning, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden, what what the Israelites knew was that uh, military might came in in horses and and maybe stallions and and sort of like they came in big and bold, but but they actually knew that royalty would come in on a donkey. The way that Jesus comes in, they, they, they had an expectation that if somebody comes in that way, they are actually announcing that royalty is on the scene. And so you, you can see that by the way the people responded, they didn't miss that Jesus was fulfilling a prophecy because they bow down, they worship, they're excited like our Messiah, our King is here. It's just that they're a little bit confused. You see, so I texted Pablo. So we're, we're moving into this, this new place. It's not new. It's new to us, right? It's kind of like our cars. We, we hardly ever get a new car, but all of our cars are new to us. So we're moving into this new-to-us place, and we're going to maybe do some floors. And so um, I texted this guy, Pablo, and, and Pablo got back to me in this really weird way. I was asking him about, like, laminate and this and carpet and this, and, and he gets back to me about, like, this whole other side of things that I didn't expect, like, um, a guy who's in the flooring industry to get back to me on, and it had to do with, like, our health and, and like, the way that we interact with the floors, and I just was like, whoa, that is a Different response, Pablo. So all of a sudden, I started thinking, I had like a narrative going on in my mind, like what happened to Pablo? You know, like, I don't know. I used to play soccer with him when we were young, and then he owns his business, and I don't know, maybe he's like really into this side of like the flooring industry. So anyways, he then texts me back. I, show, I tell my wife, I'm like, I don't know, we, we can't, there's not much I can do from this response. So anyways, uh, he texts me back, and he wants to meet with me about an issue he's having. So I'm like, all right, cool. I, I probably should meet with him. He did me a favor, even though I don't understand it. I should probably, like, meet with him. You know, that wouldn't be cool to just bounce on him. So we meet for coffee, and in comes another Pablo. Like, like you see, I had the wrong guy. I, <laughs> I have multiple Pablos in my phone. And I just thought it was Pablo the flooring friend. But it was actually Pablo, the guy who, like, does some mindfulness and different things. And so I'm like, oh, <laughs> That's what we're doing. Pablo, so good to see you. Shift. <laughs> wrong guy. Expectations here, but I had the wrong Pablo. You see, in, in, in Matthew, they've, they've got the wrong Pablo. They, they have all these expectations that are like this, but then just a couple days later, in rock, like the wrong or at least different Pablo. So let's take a look at this idea of, of king, right? So just kind of put in your mind king. I think I have a next slide that, that'll help us with that. We're gonna behold the king this morning and, and, and we're not necessarily like used to beholding kings, right? So let's go ahead and, and break this passage down here just, just for a little bit here. Behold, right? So we're looking at, we're trying to see who he really is. That's what beholding is, is when you look at something. But I love how John Biber writes about it. He's like, beholding Jesus doesn't mean we're just looking at him. It means we're starting to see him as our supreme treasure. That's what it means to behold Jesus. And so let's, let's go ahead and behold the, the king here in this passage. And, and so, you know, the, the prophecy says, behold your king. So this is not everybody's king yet, this is, this is a specific king to a specific people with specific promises. And, and just, to, just to stop just for a second and, and remember, like we're, we're probably not very familiar with this idea of kings. Okay, so let me, let me re- rework this just for a second. This is not somebody who got voted into office. This is not somebody who won the popular vote. This is not a prime minister. This is not a president. This is not somebody who has checks and balances. This is not somebody who asks permission, gets approval. A king is someone who has final authority. We actually, as Americans, what did we do? We broke away from the king and the queen and that that whole lifestyle. So for us, there's a bit of relearning what it is to have a king who doesn't need your vote or approval, but actually calls for a posture more like this. So when the king's in the room, when the king is present, this is the appropriate posture. Not approval ratings. That's who we're talking about. It says he's coming to you. So the wait is over. All those years when Zechariah is waiting, people are waiting, people are waiting, people are waiting. And now the Israelites, well, now they're under the authority of the Romans but finally, the king has come. There's expectation. But remember, they've got the wrong Pablo because this king is humble. This is, this is a king that's humble, not, not necessarily with the same military might and strategy and strength that they thought Messiah would come with. This, this is a king who is absolutely here to serve all the way to the cross. He's riding in triumphantly in order to lose so that you might win. That's a whole different dynamic of what it is to have power. You see, power, according to this king, is finding ways in which you can lose it so others can thrive. That's the way of the kingdom. It's the way of the king. And he's riding to a place where your sin and my sin will be put upon him directly, specifically. And the wrath of God, which should separate us and send us to hell, will go directly to Christ. He will die our death and on the third day overcome our death, fulfill our payment, and give us the opportunity to be made right with a holy and just God because his wrath was satisfied in Christ. This is the humble way of how this king uses his power and his authority. He gives it away so that others can live. Uh, Just a a second before we move on to what it looks like today to behold this king. This is a king who was humble, and and I I just spent a a moment thinking about his humility. how, How did he define it? How can we talk about it? There's all sorts of you know, you can look up different quotes and things like that. And and actually humility's become popular in the workplace, right? Like like big companies now are actually embracing the, the, the principles of the kingdom of God. They're like, hey, this stuff works. They don't name it, but like it's so so humility is not necessarily like a foreign idea. But the source of Jesus' humility is different than what we know today. The source of Jesus' humility came from one thing. He was radically locked in to the Father. That's what defined him as he was just so radically locked in that whatever the Father said and wanted, the Son would do. So behold, you're king. So, so how was it that Jesus actually wanted to be uh, beheld on that first uh, Palm Sunday, well, I think a couple ways, uh, first of all, the coming king, the conquering king and and the compelling king the the, the coming king well, well Jesus knew that he was fulfilling prophecy. he went out of his way to to get the donkey to to, to fulfill the very specifics of the prophecy, so he wanted the people to know that the king that God had promised that would make all things right was, was coming, and it was Jesus. So you know, like, throughout his life, he does these miracles, he does these awesome things, and then he tells people, like, shh, don't tell anybody, my time hasn't come. This is Jesus saying, I'm here. My time is now. This is like his John Cena moment, okay? I don't know who knows... John Cena is, but John Cena's a wrestler, and he's got this. Every every wrestler's got a walk up song, right? And and his his song is like, "My time is now." Okay, so so this is Jesus saying in Jesus' way, not John Cena's way. My time is now. It's actually my son, seventeen year old, in the back walk up baseball song. So I'm kind of like, you know, like I'm familiar with it. My time is now. He wanted them to know he was the coming king and if he was the coming king and he came in the way of the kingdom, then he wanted them to know that he was also the conquering king. That if, if indeed he was the Messiah, then he was here to conquer. There were enemies to conquer and he was going to conquer in the way of the kingdom though. You see, for, for each one of these, look, he's, he's the coming king but he's gonna come in the way of the kingdom. It's, it's gonna be almost underpronounced, unless you know the prophecies. He's going to come as the conquering king, and he's going to conquer in the way of the kingdom. And so the, the conquering way of the kingdom is we win by losing. That's what it means to conquer in the kingdom, that the more you lose, the more you win. The first shall be what? The last shall be first. There is a way that the kingdom comes and conquers and establishes itself. And it's not the way of the kingdom of the world, it's the kingdom of God. And so in order to conquer enemies, Jesus would have to, he would have to lose to win. But but this is sort of where, this is sort of where they got the wrong Pablo. Because they think their enemies is like Rome and they want their land back. They want their stuff. They want their nationalistic pride now. Like we're, we're God's chosen people and we want to fly our banner. We want power. And Jesus is like, that's not your enemy. Your enemy is sin. Your enemy is, is death. And your enemy is Satan. And, and Jesus is like, I came to conquer the enemies that will wipe you out for eternity, not just make your life uncomfortable tomorrow. But they had the wrong Pablo. You man, you might have the wrong Pablo this morning. I don't know. I don't know how that resonates with you because maybe you're waiting for Jesus to conquer your Rome and he's like, listen, I'm trying to conquer your eternity. And I'm going to actually use your Rome today to give myself more glory, so you just stay with me. You just stay with me. You know, he was also the compelling king. He was also uh, this, this king that compelled people to himself, compelling in the way of the kingdom, which was humble and, and quiet all the way. You know, it's like you have two people, and, and the one this is just general human dynamics, right? You have, you have one person who's very much full of themselves and, like, lets the world know it, and then you have this other person who's awesome, but, like, doesn't have to let people know it. They just, like, walk in their awesomeness. Who do you want to hang out with more? Who do you try to avoid? Who do you, like, want to grab coffee with? Of course, the person who doesn't have to pronounce awesomeness. They just, they're just awesome. I, just, I love this guy. I just love this girl. That's, that's the compelling nature that Jesus came as. He didn't need to pronounce it. As a matter of fact, he kept it on the DL actually until this moment. And that's, that's actually quite compelling. And so this is how Jesus wanted to be beheld on that first Palm Sunday. And so the question that I had is, well, how does he want to be beheld today? Because we're talking about beholding Jesus. How how is it that we're supposed to look at Jesus today? And if if he's the coming king He's the conquering king, and he's the compelling king. I think he wants us to know that he still is. He still is. You see, because I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes we can honor a historic Jesus and then get on with the rest of our lives knowing what we know about that king, but then kind of coming back to, to today as though that king did something great historically, but I'm not really sure what he has for my marriage. I'm not really sure what he has for my singleness. I'm not really sure what he has in my workplace. And and we almost compartmentalize historic Jesus from Aslan on the move. He still is what he wanted to be in that first Palm Sunday, the coming King, this is where um, this is where hopefully the spirit begins to just invite you to to Jesus himself, the coming King, the coming King. he still is the coming king it's just that rather than a donkey guys he 's coming on a white horse. you have to understand that when he <laughs> He's, I, I, listen, I just got to check my time because I'm, I'm about to lose myself here a little bit and I just got to make sure that we don't go too, too long. All right, thanks. 20, okay, sorry. You had the pig roast and the pork and all that stuff yesterday, so there's no big, all right. Okay. So listen, um, he still is the coming king. Revelation 19 through, through 22, like, it's just that he's, he's going to come again in a different way. The, the donkey has been used. The, the, the first arrival of Jesus has accomplished what it was supposed to accomplish, but he's coming again. He is still your coming king. And I just have a feeling that this morning you and I may have forgotten that. Because when he comes not on the donkey but the white horse, there will be judgment. There will be the end of all things and the beginning of all things new. And from the throne, this is what the coming king promises. Behold, I am making all things new. That is your coming king. And I don't know if we're living like it. I think we might be living with a historic Jesus riding on the donkey and we're thankful for forgiveness. But I don't know if we're walking in the expectation of power that although these scars will not maybe all be healed today, there is a day when everything sad comes untrue. There is a day. I love how Tim Keller says it, referencing back to J.R. Tolkien. First off, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? Pick up Keller. Everything sad is going to come untrue and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. Could it be this morning that you just need to remember that he's still the coming king? You know, I, I have a, an ongoing struggle with uh, pretty persistent anxiety, anxious thoughts, obsessions, uh, heaviness in the chest. It can come and go, and sometimes I do better, sometimes I do worse. And God has brought great healing through that. I've I've stepped into you know uh, some therapy. I have like the Lord has just like freed me from different things. So I'm like I'm a work in progress. <laughs> but sometimes I'm like, whoa, what the heck? Like I believe the right stuff. I don't know that I'm in like spiraling sin. I'm just like I'm just trying to love my wife, love my church, love Jesus, read my Bible, get her, but still sometimes like whoo, whoo practice my tools, keep going, stay present. But it just doesn't lift sometimes. And it's like, God, when are you gonna come and take care of my Rome? Pablo, where are you at? But, but here's, here's the thing. I think, I think sometimes I need to, I need to remember that he's still, he still is. He still is the coming king. And, and according to what he promises, he's going to renew all things. So here's what that means. Here's what that means. Watch, watch. What that means is that I will actually be better in the new heavens and the new earth, give God more glory and experience more joy myself for having walked through the heaviness and brokenness that I experience in my mind, had I not. That's what his touch of renewal means. When he renews something, it doesn't go away. When he renews it, he takes what it is and actually transforms it so that you have more joy and he gets more glory. So if that's the case, and I say, Rome, you can stay as long as you want. Because my king's coming. My best life isn't now but I forget. And so maybe this morning, is just just invite you to remember. You know, he, he still is our, our conquering king, right? Do you guys know where Jesus is right now? If I have my seven-year-old, she'd be like, in my heart. would <laughs> be like, that's right, baby. So, so Jesus right now is at the right hand of the Father. He's uh, seated and he is interceding for us. He's praying for you right now. You know when you're, like, you're praying and you're like, man, you got really something on your mind? Listen, trust me, Jesus is getting after it harder than you ever could to the Father on your behalf. He's praying for me right now. Let this guy finish. Don't let him go crazy in his head. You know, like, come on, Lord. Come on, Father, he needs you. Right now, he's at the right hand of the Father, and he is, Romans eight thirty four. He's interceding for us. And, and what's happening while he's at the right hand of the Father? You need to know this. This is really important. His enemies are being, are being like put under his feet as a footstool. Hebrews 1. Okay, so, so we have a conquering king who is, who is it's, it's good for us to know this, who is a persistent prayer warrior and our persistent presence warrior. So here's the deal. Maybe, hmm. you know that child that's just struggling right now? Struggling. Rearranging your family. You know your addiction that nobody knows about? The one that just keeps calling your name and just got shame and guilt associated with it. You know your friend who's far from God and just like wrecking their lives? You know your mom who wants nothing to do with Jesus and you feel like she's coming closer and closer to that day when she's going to meet him and have to answer for her, her life? Listen, you have a prayer warrior who is on it. On it. Do you know? Do you know the flesh? The flesh? that you can't seem to control, that keeps coming up in the midst of your parenting and you lose it again and you go back and you lose it again and you go back or maybe it's your anger or maybe it's your, whatever it is. Do you know that that's an enemy of the cross? And as we speak, those enemies are being put under the footstool of Jesus. You have a very persistent warrior who is at work on your behalf. Did you know that? It's happening right now. Do you believe it? Listen, listen, we overcome by faith, but if you have the faith of a mustard seed to at least receive the words I'm speaking to you right now, it's happening. You see, I think think sometimes it could be that we just need a, a warrior who's stronger than ourselves this morning because for the last season of life, you've just been depending on you. You've been trying really hard, and there's nothing wrong with trying hard. But the scriptures aren't about your earning. The scriptures aren't about your independence. The scriptures are actually a story about you learning to become more and more dependent on your stronger warrior. So maybe this morning, could it be that you just need to come to your conquering king who still is really good at what he does? Much better than you are. First John 5 says we we overcome by faith. I want to give you permission to do something this morning. I want to give you permission to wait. Sometimes I feel like I'm in the battle and I feel like I'm doing something wrong because like it's not it doesn't seem to be working according to my timetable or the way I thought it would work out. Is to relate to that? All right, so so I'm like I think I think tell me if I'm wrong, but like I think I and you know what is so, just breathes fire into my soul? Not when somebody comes by and tells me it's going to be okay, or not when somebody comes by and says, hey, man, you know, like, well, if you just did this or you just did that, even, even when people come by and sit with me like Job's friends do, that, that's cool. That's not super annoying. But the, but the best thing that somebody can come do for, for me is when they come by and they say, I see you waiting. I see I see your endurance, and I just want to thank you for continuing to show up, even though it's really hard. I'm like, oh, okay. So you mean I have permission to endure? Okay. Then let's take the next step, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and then finally, you know, we've got a, we've got a compelling king. He still is really compelling, guys. He's moving towards sinners and sufferers in a gentle and lowly way, Matthew 11. For I am gentle and lowly. I think one of the most compelling things about the gospel is, well, I'm convinced it's Jesus, but it's Jesus's way towards sinners and sufferers. Dane Ortland writes about it in his book, Gentle and Lowly. I'm gonna quote that here in a second. But like, I, I just... I I sometimes forget how compelling it is, as Dane writes, that God just doesn't love the way we do. We love with limits and in contracts, and when you disappoint me, then I'm gonna like at least have a safe boundary and all that stuff. God has no safe boundaries. He would fail the boundaries class. (laughs) He just keeps crushing through these boundaries in order to win that area of your heart. He's so gentle. He's not trigger happy. He's lowly. He identifies with sinners. He's not like, man, you should have it cleaned up by now. He's like, I I remember what it was like when I was there. I know what it's like to have heavy, and it doesn't seem to get removed as soon as I want it to. Remember? Remember how I asked the father to take it away? Like, I get it. I get it. He's gentle and lowly. I, my, son, my son here is reading the, the book here, Gentle and Lowly. I asked him what was one of his favorite quotes. He says, the deeper, in, from Dane Ortland, the deeper into weakness, the deeper into Christ's uh, solidarity, like we go. As we go down into pain and anguish, we are descending even deeper into Christ's very heart, not away from it. How beautiful is that to our world, who's so polarized, to our world, who's so like trigger happy and ready to just, it's like, no, I got a guy, I got the right Pablo. Let me tell you about him. He's gentle, he's lowly, and he wants to just, he wants to meet you right where you are. We have a compelling king. I'd like for us, uh, for just a minute here, we're getting ready to close out, to look at the donkey. Look at, look at the donkey on which Jesus rides. Pastor John Botkin helped me with this as an article I was reading. And, and, and he would have us think through this, the, the idea of the donkey. And it's an unbroken donkey, which means it had never been ridden before. And he would ask us to think about how do you think an unbroken wild animal like that would do the first time a rider hops on it plus it being surrounded with yelling and screaming crowds. Think about that for a second. You see, most of the time, the wild animal would need to be broken, and then you could ride in on it. You would have to, like, break its spirit and show you, no, I'm the master. And then, and then you could utilize the animal for its use. But he observes Tim Keller Who makes this observation? He simply doesn't need to break the donkey. Jesus, that is. He just needs to heal it of its fear. And then he can use it for its purpose. I just wonder maybe if this morning there's some of us who you don't need to be broken. You just need to be healed of your fear so that God can continue the good purposes he has for you in this gospel journey. You know, that, that, um, that would require something. I'm going to ask the team to come up, and we're going to get ready to respond. Guys, that would require something. It would require you moving from a state of beholding Jesus to actually coming to Jesus. We can behold things from afar, but if you want to come to a person, I'm beholding you, you're beholding me, we actually have to like leave the safety of where we have lived and operated for years and years and years and then actually come to That person leaving one space with the courage to to come into another. Well, now we're experiencing one another in a different way, are we not? Right? Hey, I'm Casey. What's your name? Matthew? Matthew? Hey, what's your name? Shelby. Shelby? Matthew and Shelby. Nice to meet you guys. So, Matthew and Shelby, and we've been hanging out for almost 35 minutes. (laughs) Have. But now we're like, we're like together. Like I can see that God's doing something in Shelby's life. Seems like, and Matthew, I'm sure the same with you, man. But I'm like sensing something. And why? Well, well, because I came to them. Dane Ortland says, you know what we need to get over when it comes to God. Probably one of the reasons why we don't come is because we have a naturally decaffeinated view of His love. We. We think he's gonna respond like our dad did. We think he's gonna respond like our grandma did. That's not the Pablo of the Bible. He's gentle and he's lowly. But you gotta come. You gotta come to know and experience the compelling nature and the healing Not the breaking, but the healing he has for you.